everyone and welcome to Tea Time with Bela. Thank you so much for joining me for season two. It's going to be a really exciting one. Uh, the very first topic of the season is taboo desire and the body. It's a topic I've had long conversations about with my best friend over the years. It's really fascinating because the Anglophone world saw French literature as extremely dangerous for not only young women, but young men. So the question is, why? means what were they writing about that scared them so much. So we decided to bring the conversation to you. I hope you find it as exciting and as compelling as we do. So without much ado, let me introduce you to Dr. Melissa Beiler. She teaches literature, medicine, and research courses at Rice University, and of course, much more. Melissa, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Bela. I still remember one of our very first conversations was about Anais Nin. Remember that? I do remember that. Yes, it was it was on on Rice University campus outside the library. And yeah, yes, I don't know how it came up, but we both discovered that we enjoyed reading Anais Nin. And I yeah. was like, this woman needs to be my friend. So <laughs> and we are. <laughs> I read Nin's eroticas in graduate school, and I was blown away by the way she talked about sexual fantasies, the female body and desire. And I always wondered, like, why did she start writing eroticas? So Anais Nin is an author that we often associate with her journals and diaries mm -hmm. and uh, the kind of scandalous relationships that she had with a lot of famous authors and psychoanalysts. She also wrote erotica or short stories, very sexual stories. And she wrote them for a private collector who paid her by the page in order to make money when she wasn't, you know, making enough through her other publications. And so she wrote and had two volumes put together many years after she wrote them. She never intended them to be made public, mm -hmm. but then closer to the end of her life, she did publish two volumes and a third one was published posthumously. They really explore a lot of the taboos that we just don't even talk about. And thinking about fantasies and pleasure means Marquis de Sade was out there. I think I butchered his name, but he really talks about dominance and pleasure, right? Yes, absolutely. You're right about that. And you said his name just fine. Thank yeah, you. So the Marquis de Sade was a 17th century nobleman, very wealthy. And he wrote uh, stories that really were um, in many ways cruel. Um, so the word sadism, of course, comes from his works. And in it, there, there was a lot of uh, sexual abuse, cruelty, non-consent uh, that, that he was describing. Okay. So then what's the difference between SNM and BDSM? Because I think like most, I tend to think of them to be pretty much the same thing. Yeah. So unlike sadomasochism, BDSM includes a wider range of mm -hmm. uh, sexual interests and acts. So it stands for bondage, dominance. The S could be either sadism or submission, mm -hmm. and then masochism. BDSM now is more of a consensual, uh, kind of playful sexual practice. Um, it's, it definitely has a lot of power play in it, you know, mixing of extreme sensations like pleasure and pain, but it's, it's not 
founded on like the cruelty of the Marquis de Sade sadism. And talking about taboos, I had to bring up Colette because she had no boundaries so as to speak. And of course, she had a really fascinating and a colorful personal life because she slept with both men and women and sometimes at the same time. But the reason I bring her up mainly is because every time we talk about her, you always have something new to add. So, yeah, like you said, no boundaries. A lot of her work is, you know, written. There's some controversy about whether she wrote it or her husband kind of wrote it. But one of the novels that she wrote, The Pure and the Impure, that one was, it's semi-autobiographical. And in it, she's describing a lot of her life in Paris with the expats and all of that. And um, there's one scene that I just find so fascinating. She's in a brothel with some other, you know, author, artist types, just having a drink downstairs and and a prostitute takes a client upstairs to where the, the rooms are. Colette is just so taken with the sounds of them mm-hmm. having sex and this kind of rhythmic, you know, cry that the that the prostitute is making. And so there's this great description of her voice building and expressing this, um, you know, sexual ecstasy and climax. Colette is just, you know, enthralled by it, the power of the voice. But then later on, she actually has a conversation with that woman who says that she totally faked all of it. (laughs) Oh my God. This reminds me of a Seinfeld episode. He asks Elaine if she's ever faked it. And she's like, yeah, all the time. And he's like, what about the heavy breathing, the moaning, the screaming and the panting? And she goes, fake, 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 fake. And I couldn't stop laughing. So I guess we've been faking it for centuries. Not new. Yeah. So another novel from a century earlier that uh, I think is really great in terms of sexual taboos as well is The Lady of the Camillas, or sometimes it's translated as Camille, written in 1848 by Alexandre Dumas Fils. In it, it's, it's, it's a romantic love story between a young, wealthy nobleman and a courtesan. So a courtesan is like a well-established prostitute with a fair amount of of freedom in order to choose clients. And courtesans actually held a lot of power in in the 19th century in France. Um, They, you know, consorted with uh, political figures, with authors and artists. They had their own salons. And so in this case, thwarted love. And, um, but the, uh, an interesting aspect is the title of the work, the lady Mm -hmm. of the Camillas. So this courtesan would wear a red flower when she was menstruating and was not available on her terms Mm -hmm. for, um, clients. And then when she was, she would switch over to a white flower. Wow. I had no idea about the Camillas. I need to add this book on my list. And talking about kind of going against normative uh, gender roles, um, I was thinking more about the relationship between an older woman and a younger man. And they definitely, and I'm not just talking about relationship, but I'm also talking about the dynamics of power. 
it reminded me of the book that you were talking about. I can't remember uh, the, the name of the novel, but it was about where this noble woman falls in love with this gorgeous young florist. Remember the novel I'm talking about? So the novel that you're referring to is one written by a woman who went by the pen name Rashield. And this novel is called Monsieur Venus or Mr. Venus. She wrote it, it was first published in 1884 in Belgium, and um, it, it created a legal scandal over there. And it really was very modern in the sense that it explored gender fluidity and um, kind of breaking outside the box of a, a single kind of sexual identity. Yeah. So as you said, there's a very wealthy noble woman, Raoul de Venerand, and she feels stuck in the kind of traditions of nobility. So she often escapes some of the pressures put on her by dressing as a man and mm -hmm. adopting, you know, male activities. And she falls in love with this beautiful young man who's a florist and Jacques Silver and uh, takes him in and uh, has him wear women's clothing and, you know, stay indoors doing things like painting. And he's a terrible painter, but, <laughs> um, and they have an intensely sexual relationship and then they actually get married at, and she's, you know, dressed as a man during, during the wedding and it, well, it ends rather tragically, but it's just, such an interesting novel and, and and so you know full of this this kind of breaking out of gender roles that the author Rashield actually concocted a rather extraordinary ruse for being allowed as this young woman to even write such a thing so she actually said that she was in a hysterical state and was channeling this this ghost figure um this male ghost figure by the name of ft he was the one dictating this this work wow. to her and she just sat down and just wrote it like all in one go oh i love the fact that she says oh it's not me it's him this novel is going on my reading list as well but on a more serious note we tend to think of gender fluid as such a contemporary concept when it clearly isn't. And um, talking about relationships between older women and younger men, we have to talk about one of your favorite authors, Marguerite Duras. Uh, and didn't she have a really fascinating relationship with a much younger man as well? And it was her graduate student, if I remember correctly. And that's a big no-no in academia. Well, yes, but he wasn't her graduate student. Oh, so, okay. Um, okay, my bad. So that, that would have been okay, but it was, I mean, he was almost 40 years younger than she was. Wow. And he was just enamored by her writing and her presence. He'd seen her give a reading or a talk and wrote to her every day for several years. Wow. When he stopped writing to her, she looked him up and... um then he moved in with her and they had a very intense relationship um, that, of course, you know, raised some eyebrows, but they certainly were very open about it. The other interesting thing is that um, he also slept with men. And so 
um, she wrote about this relationship under various guises, but in some of her works like Malady of Death and uh, Blue Eyes, Black Hair and Slut of the Normandy Coast um, are the ones I can think of off, off the top of my head. But, um, it, you know, I think what their re- relationship and the way that she writes about it and um, that he's talked about it is one, you know, that challenges us putting in people into boxes. You know, people often refer to uh, Jan Andrea as, as Johas's, you know, gay companion, but he was, he was more than that. They had, they had um, a complicated uh, sexual relationship like many people do. Thinking about boxes, we still um, like to put people in boxes, especially older women. Um, you know, this reminds me of this actress that I adore. Um, she's an Indian actress and a model. Her name is Malaika Arora, and she's 48 or 49. She's gorgeous, fit, uh, glamorous, and she's in a relationship with an actor who's 33 years old. And the media has been going crazy and always, or not always, but often referred to her as a buddhi, which essentially means like a grandmother or a granny. And her attitude is, um, you know, I don't care. You can call me whatever you want. I own this body and I own my sexuality and I can sleep with whoever I want. And I find that so powerful. Yeah, there's something really sexy about that too. Thinking about getting older and, you know, still being a sexual being as, mm-hmm. as a woman. I mean, I would say, let's look to France again. Let's look yeah. at, you know, the Macrons, for example. Yes. The president, his beautiful, stunning older right. wife. There's an actress that I just love as well. She was in Call My Agent mm-hmm. uh, in, in the French version of it, Dix Poissons. And she played Mathieu's uh, wife, Philippine Leroy Beaulieu. So she's 60 years old and she was just recently on a red carpet for, you know, some great event. And she wore a completely sheer, clingy green dress. And, you know, the press was all over that. And she just said, you know, we older women, we need to show the younger ones how to do it. I love it. And on that note, Melissa, thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. And I'll see you soon. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as we did. Please make sure to follow us on Spotify and Instagram. Uh, Leave comments. Uh, We would love to hear from you. So take care and talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.